Hallelujah. Let the heavens roar. Amen. I believe on a Mother's Day, God wants the heavens to roar. He wants us to hear the sound of whatever He wants to tell us. How many know the only problem is sometimes we're just not listening? We're just not listening close enough or listening enough, period. How many want to do better? Anybody? Well, happy Mother's Day, everyone. Happy Mother's and Other's Day, I should say. And if you're a first-time visitor, we welcome you. We are so blessed to have you with us this morning. And since it's Mother's Day, I know everyone expects to hear a Mother's Day sermon, right? Well, too bad. You're out of luck. I'm just kidding. Today's message does pertain to mothers, but it also pertains to others. It pertains to mothers, but it pertains to everyone else. I've titled this message uh, Legacy. You might extend that out and say Leaving a Legacy is the title of my message. To set this up, how many can remember back when you were in high school? Anybody got a good enough memory to remember that far back? Well, I remember when I was in high school, I was on the high school track team. And I remember I was participating in a race that they called the 440 Relay, where four guys run a leg of the race, and we each pass a baton on to the next guy. We had a great team that year, a really good team. We hadn't lost a, uh, a race all year long, and we were going into the conference uh, race. And our third leg of the race, Gordon Gothorp, he got sick. Well, our uh, coach didn't know what else to do, so he picked out the next fastest guy and put him in the race. But let me just say, in that race, it's more than just being fast. There's some coordination to it. There's actually some... Uh, timing to it, and this guy Steve had never ran with us before, never practiced receiving or passing off uh, the baton. So anyway, the race gets started. We didn't have anything else to do. The race gets started. John Carmack's our first leg. He gets a good lead on the first leg. He passes off to me. I hang on to that lead, and I get to Steve, and you're supposed to give them a notice and say, go when you get a certain place. And I said, go, and Steve went. Everything was going great. All of a sudden, for some reason, he decides out of a full-blown run to stop. I don't know if he didn't think I could catch him or what, but he stopped. Well, needless to say, I ran smack dab in the middle of Steve. He went one way, I went the other, and the baton went another. I had to get out of the lane to get the baton to Steve. And believe it or not, we still got second place and barely missed first place. But we got disqualified because we got out of our lane. Because we dropped the baton. We didn't lose because we weren't fast enough. We were faster than the team that won first place. We lost because we didn't pass the baton correctly. We dropped the baton. My point to this whole thing is not just as mothers or as fathers, but as followers of Christ, we need to pass the baton on to the next generation. The baton of faith to the next generation. You know, I don't know about you, but I look around this world and I see story after story, I hear story after story, and I'm thinking, as a church, we have failed this generation. I'm not talking about just Victory Church, I'm talking about the worldwide church. We have failed this generation. We as a church, as believers, as people of faith, people of God, we have not passed the baton on correctly on so many levels. That's what I want to talk about today, and, and to start this out, I want to look at a, a section of text that Paul writes. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting with verse 1, Paul's writing this letter to a young friend of his, Timothy. Listen to what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, he writes this. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you, Timothy, so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Remember, this is the Apostle Paul saying this. He's writing this letter to his young friend Timothy. It was actually written two to four years after his first letter. And when, Timothy, when Paul calls Timothy son, he's not referring to him as an actual son. Look at verse 2 again. It says, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. So if you catch that, he's a spiritual son, a son in the faith. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Philippians chapter 2, verse 22 says this. Paul says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Back then, vocational training was mainly done by the fathers, and sons stayed loyal most of the times to the family business, whatever it was. Timothy was actually learning the trade of ministry, and he served under, uh, let's say, an apprenticeship-style apprenticeship under the Apostle Paul, which is pretty amazing. But it was a father-son relationship like a father would teach his son any other trade. This is important to set up because this is what I'm going to bring out and try to stress today, and you have to catch this part. You and I can leave a spiritual legacy for our children. That's a given. We know that. But do you realize you can also leave a spiritual legacy to people that are not related to you, biologically, your children, or anything else? That's actually what God has called us to do. So today, even if you have no biological children, you're not off the hook. Amen? This is what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. I want to get back to the story. Paul is in prison, and he decides to write his young friend Timothy this letter. The first time he was in prison, if you remember, he was under house arrest, which wasn't that bad. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. This time it was bad because Paul knew he was just days away from being executed. He sat in a jail cell. It was more of a dungeon than a cell. It was dark, damp, and cool, and he was chained to the wall just waiting to die. So he begins thinking about his close friend Timothy, the many experiences that they had had, to, had together, good and bad. The last image he had, if you caught that, of his friend Timothy was of him weeping. Timothy had been so distraught and saddened by Paul's leaving, he didn't want him to leave. Now as Paul sits down in his cell, he decides to write to his friend and write this letter. In this letter, Paul's going to pour out his heart to young Timothy. Paul's going to tell him how important he is to him, how much he loves him, he encourages him, he is building him up, and he's also informing Timothy that Paul is passing on the baton of faith to Timothy. And Timothy is now in charge of the work that Paul and Timothy at one time shared together. He's passing the baton. Paul wrote the letter because he was concerned for Timothy, right? But he wasn't just concerned for Timothy. He was concerned for all the other converts, all the other Christians that he had either made or came in contact over his 25-plus years of ministry. Because in this day that we're talking about here, they were facing, the Christians were facing intense persecution and this time it wasn't from jealous or zealous Jews. It was from a lunatic of an emperor named Nero. This guy was crazy. He took great pleasure in torturing and killing Christians. And most of the time he did it right out in the public because he was proud of it. 
Nero was ultimately responsible for the death of the Apostle Paul, the death of Apostle Peter. But Paul knew this. Paul knew what Jesus had said, that things weren't going to be getting much better or any better for Christians. In fact, they were going to be getting worse. So in the verses leading up to the ones I just read, Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, in fact, and catch this part, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He doesn't say you might be, maybe you will. No, he says you will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So my thought is, how would Timothy and his fellow Christians make it through this? How would they hold on to their faith and how would they recognize the deceptions and the lies of the world? I think God is trying to tell us something in this message of how to recognize the lies and the deceptions of the world that we live in. I want to give you some ways that we can make it through. Whatever we're facing, number one, if you're taking notes, recognize your spiritual heritage. That is so important. Paul reminded Timothy that he was well prepared for what he was about to face because of what his mother had taught him. He knew the scriptures, the saving words of God's word. This was a lasting legacy that Timothy's mother had passed on for, for Timothy and to Timothy. And it was one that prepared him not only for this life, but for the bigger picture, eternal life. Let me uh, read that verse 5 again. I am reminded, Paul says, Timothy, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So there's no doubt that Timothy mother and grandmother were a huge influence in his faith, in his spiritual life. Timothy grew up in a household of faith under his mother and his grandmother who were early Christian converts. And both of these women, if you don't know it, they were Jewish women. Timothy's father wasn't Jewish. He was a Gentile. He was actually a Greek. And theologians believed that he was not a believer at all. So it was through Timothy's grandmother and mother who first taught him about God and Paul's reminding Timothy that he has this incredible spiritual foundation that has been imparted to him by his grandmother and by his mother. And later in life, to top things off, since Timothy's own father wasn't a believer, the Apostle Paul steps in and helps become a spiritual father to Timothy. How would you like to have the Apostle Paul as your spiritual father? Pretty amazing. But I think in the bigger picture, including us today, that's the way it should be. Our spiritual heritage consists of the people that introduced us to Christ. Our spiritual heritage consists of the people that led us to Christ, the people that have built us up and helped us to mature in our faith. For some of us, our spiritual heritage is linked way back to maybe a specific ministry, a specific minister, a specific person. Maybe it's linked to a teacher, a friend, a coach, or whoever. So let me with, ask you this with that said, who makes up your spiritual heritage? Have you ever thought about it? Who has made up your spiritual heritage or who is making up your spiritual heritage? Because every one of us, sad to say, weren't born with saved parents. We didn't grow up in households of faith. But I believe that God has put people in our lives. I believe that God has deliberately put people across our path to step in the gap for us. They might have been people that poured their life into your life to make you what you are today. Maybe even more than an earthly parent did. And that faith that you received from that mentor... That mother, that grandmother, that father, that helper, whatever, now passes on to you. Last year, my uh, wife, Cheryl, she was asked to speak at a memorial for uh, her college basketball coach, Jim Wall, that passed away. 
He was a legend of an athlete uh, when he played uh, college ball at Indiana State. And after he retired from coaching basketball, he went back to Indiana State, did color commentary for all their basketball games. He was an amazing guy. And the name of uh, Wren Lake College that Cheryl attended down around Mount Vernon and played basketball for Coach Wall at, that gym was named after Coach Wall. Uh, but this guy, what I'm trying to say, he poured into my wife's life. He poured into Cheryl's life, especially at a time when she needed him desperately, at a time when her relationship with her own father wasn't in a good place. She needed him exactly when she needed him, and they stayed close 30 years after her basketball days until he passed. And I believe in that case, God deliberately put Coach Wall, a great godly man that was an example of faith on and off the court, He put him in Cheryl's life when she desperately needed that. Let me say, you can all probably think of someone that was worked into your life at a desperate point in your life that I can say in my life, God had to have put there because it was exactly what I needed. And Coach Wall was a great example. He was a good godly man, an example for her to follow at a time she needed it. But let me ask you this morning, because I want you to think, Who is it that helped you form your faith? Can you think of any specific person or persons that specifically helped form your faith? Can you still go to those people today, if they're alive, for decisions and direction of choices and everything that you might wonder? And even more importantly this, let me ask you, whose spiritual heritage are you a part of? Whose spiritual heritage are you a part of today and whose life are you impacting? You ever thought about that? We need to start thinking about that. I think we need to think about our lives and the legacy that every one of us are leaving behind. You know, all the time people debate legacies. Legacies of presidents, legacies of CEOs, athletes, coaches, actors, whatever. How or for what they're going to be recognized and remembered for. Do you realize this morning that no matter who you are, in some area we are creating a legacy for our lives? What are you going to be remembered for? Is it just going to be for being a diehard Cub fan or Cardinal fan? Amen. Is it going to be for being a hard worker? Is it going to be for kindness or generosity? Hey, those things are good things. I'll say they're great things. I don't know about the Cardinal fan, but the, those things are great things. <laughs> I'm not actually that much of a diehard Cub fan either. I gave up on them a long time ago. Anyway, those can all be good things, but I say... And maybe you say great things, but are they spiritual things? Are they spiritually impactful? That's what we have to look at, the bigger picture in all of this. Are we leaving a legacy that truly prepares the next generation for the world that they are facing now and the world they're going to face tomorrow? I can't imagine what the world's going to be tomorrow. But are we preparing them to face the legacy? And more importantly, are we preparing them for what's ahead of this life? Are we preparing them for eternal life? You know... Fortunately, we don't live in a country where we have an emperor that's torturing Christians and killing Christians. But I would say today, every one of us would probably agree that our Christian faith is under attack from every direction, especially among our teens and our young adults. I feel for you young people today and what you're facing. You go to any secular college campus today in orientation day, and you're going to see different clubs and organizations everywhere vying for your kids' membership. You've got the atheist society that doesn't believe in God at all. In fact, they boast of the freedom without God that they can live in this life. You've got the humanist society that claims that mankind is God. There's encouragement to explore your sexuality, to question your gender, to rebel against authority. And every, not every, many college professors, 
target Christians, attempting to embarrass them, belittle them until they break, calling Christianity out of date, repressive, dangerous. But you know it's not just limited to our colleges. It spills down into our high schools, into our grade schools. It spills down into every other area, pumps into our homes through our TV sets, through our computers, through our phones. It's everywhere. There's a spiritual attack. There's a demonic attack on our country and on our souls. And um, it comes in so many different ways. I'm just saying we need to be aware of it. And like Paul in this story, he was genuinely concerned for Timothy, his spiritual son, because of the condition of the world back then. I don't know about you parents, but I am concerned, spiritually concerned about my kids, about your kids. How are young people going to hang on when times get tough? Uh, What are they going to do to make it through? Well, I think we can help them make it through by putting my second point into action. My second point is develop or stir up the gift that lives on the inside of us as believers. Stir up the gift on the inside of each one of us. Look at verse 6. Paul says this. For this reason, Paul says to Timothy, I remind you to fan into flame. Can you say that with me? Fan into flame. Say it one more time. Fan into flame. Fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, what's supposed to be burning here? What's supposed to be ablaze here, kept burning here? Verse 6 gives us the answer. It's the gift that God has given Timothy, the gift of faith. God gave Timothy this gift, and that gift included fire, according to this scripture. But the existence of that ongoing fire, and you've got to get this, the existence of that ongoing fire in Timothy's life depends on his obedience to verse 6. Paul is coaching Timothy, said, feed it, Timothy. Feed your faith, feed your faith. Fan it into flames over and over. If you don't, it's going to go out. Even if it's a gift from God, if you don't do anything with it, it's going to go out. It's going to flicker out. How many of you have ever built a fire? Any campfire builders here? I have to admit this. Cheryl's a lot bigger, a better bonfire maker than I am, a fire builder than I am. I don't have patience for a fire. I want that fire instantly, right now, just like poof. So I'm the guy that goes out and gets a little bit of gas, you know. I don't ever do that. Gets a little bit of gas and just a little, because I know it could be dangerous, and it is. You put it on the fire, you light it, man, it goes up in a huge flame. But then it goes out. The only thing that it burnt were your eyebrows off and your nose hairs, amen? <laughs> so then I have to go into Cheryl with no eyebrows, and I have to say, Cheryl, could, hun, could you help me build a fire? Let me just say she knows how to build a fire. It's one of her great talents, building a fire. Many others too, hon. Anyway, she knows how to take a piece of paper and roll it up into a tight roll, several pieces of paper, put them on the bottom, then put some dry twigs on top of it, put a match to the uh, paper, and let the paper get going, and it ignites the little twigs, dry twigs. Then she puts more twigs on, and she even blows into the fire a little bit to help feed it uh, with oxygen, uh, with air. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, bigger. She is literally feeding the flame. She is feeding that fire, which is exactly what God wants us to do spiritually with our faith. Feed the fire that's within you and me. Because if you're a believer, there is a fire. It might not look like white hot coals right now. It might not look like big flames. But let me tell you, if you're a believer, it's there. It's there somewhere. It's there to be rebuilt if it's going out. 
But Timothy has received special gifts of the Spirit. And I believe Paul, through this letter, is, content, is, is encouraging him to continue persevering in his faith in this time where it's very difficult to persevere. But you know the thing here I thought about? Peter, Peter Timothy didn't need more faith. He already had that. He just had to fan the flame of the faith that was already on the inside of him. Guess what? You and I need to do the same. That flame is there. That co those coals are there. We need to fan it into flames. God has put a flame in many of us. But because of the distractions of the world, the cares of life, the worries, the, uh, uh, our own will and, and way being done more than his, we've let that fire kind of flicker out in our life. But think about where Timothy was living. There was, there was so much turmoil, there was so much persecution, there was so much execution going on uh, toward the Christians that it's no wonder he would have been a little bit timid about being bold with his faith. How many of you in a world that we live in that isn't near what this one was that Timothy was living in, how many of us, do get, to be, how many of us get to the point where we're shy about our faith? Probably more of us than we want to admit to. But have you ever faced something that you wondered, how am I going to make this? How am I going to make this work? How am I going to make it through this? How am I going to handle this? It's kind of like then we get the thought that I didn't take a class on this. I didn't read a book on this. Nobody told me about this. I have the confidence to face what I'm facing. I think if we're honest, we've all had those days. Amen. But in order for Timothy to fan into flames his gift for ministry, his gift of faith that he was given, he had to actually develop that gift. You can't just get the gift and leave it alone. You have to do something with it, develop it. That word fan into flame that Paul uses here, it could also uh, be said as stir up or rekindle. Paul is telling Timothy to stir up that gift that's inside of you. Rekindle that gift that's inside of you. This gift that God has given to Timothy is like a fire. It's burning on the inside of him. And Paul wants Timothy to develop this gift, not waste it, not just let it lay there, but to develop uh, the gift. And Paul wants Timothy to actually intensify the fire that's burning on the inside of him. God said that to Timothy, or Paul said that to Timothy, to say to you and me, we need to do the same thing. I don't know where your faith level is today. I don't know where your level of fire in your spiritual life is today but I think Paul is telling us to stir up that gift, stir up that fire, fan it into flames today, and see what God can do with it. But how do we do that? I'll give you a little help. I've got a couple good ways here. Number one, preach to yourself. Anybody ever preach to yourself? I preach some of my better sermons to me. Amen? I mean, we need to learn to preach to ourselves. Another way of putting it might be to encourage yourself in the Lord. If you know anything or remember anything about the Old Testament and stories of David, remember when David in 1 Samuel went out with his uh, warriors, without his, out with his army, and fought a battle. When they got back from the battle, they came home, and their city had been burned to the ground. Their uh, city had been uh, uh, attacked. Their wives and children had been taken captive and taken away. And to make matters worse, when... David's army saw this. They started blaming David, and they said, well, if you wouldn't have had us out on that scant, that, that battle, uh, we would have been here for our wives and our children. We would have been here to defend the city. They got so mad at him, they were going to stone him. You talk about having a bad day. That was a bad day. You think David let it get him down? Oh, maybe a little bit. But in the end, look what happens. In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his son and for his daughters. 
But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. How did he do that? I believe he started to fan the flame of his faith. And you know how I think he did that uh, from what I read in Scripture? He started remembering. He started remembering back what God had already done for him and what God had done in his life. I can just imagine him uh, remembering back when he was just a teenage boy, a shepherd, tending his father's sheep. He was called to be the king. I can just imagine him remembering when he was tending his father's sheep and a bear came up to attack the sheep and then a lion came up to attack the sheep and David killed both the lion and the bear with his bare hands. And we know without a doubt he had to go back to the story of David and Goliath when he ran out to meet Goliath with just a sling and a stone and he came back to camp carrying the monster Goliath's head in his hand. I believe he also remembered all the times that King Saul had tried to kill him and God had spared him. David encouraged himself in the Lord, remembering what God had done for him. And look at the next thing that comes out of David's mouth. God, shall I pursue this raiding army? When I read that, I almost hear an enthusiasm in David's heart. Even though everything has fallen apart, everything has gone the wrong way, even though his whole camp is still mad at him, he said, God, shall I pursue this raiding army? Shall I overtake them? And God answers, pursue them. You will certainly overtake them and you will succeed. So what I'm saying is whenever you're down and out and you're distressed and you're discouraged, what can you do? The same thing David did. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Remember what God has done in your past, how he's delivered you, how he's brought you through some hard times, and trust that he'll do it again. Amen? It will encourage you like you've never been encouraged before. When you be I'm depressed and losing hope. You ought to stop and remind yourself, there's no need for me to despair. God is still on the throne. God is still in control. And again, if he's done it once, he can do it again. Why not trust him? I believe he allows those things to be in our lives to build the faith up so that the next time we encounter a battle, a storm, or a trouble, God is going to be there to say, hey, remember when I did this? Or we should be saying, God, remember when you did that? We ought to be calling that back to memory so encourage yourself in the Lord. The second way is prayer. Prayer is huge. And along with that, I'm going to say lay hands on yourself. You may think that is ridiculous, but there might be some times you need to lay hands on yourself. I love this scripture in Proverbs 27, 17. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I would say our lives are best sharpened when rubbed up against other believers. Amen? When doing life with other believers. Uh, I'm so thankful for our prayer group led by Carmen Dyke. I'm so thankful and have confidence every day that no matter what I'm going through, whatever I'm facing in life, I somebody's praying for me, praying for me, praying for the ministry, praying for my wife, praying for our family. So when I get in situations I need prayer, yeah, I might send them a text saying I need prayer, but even if, even if I don't, I know they're praying for me on a daily basis. But there are going to be times in every one of our lives where you feel like you're alone out there and nobody else is praying for you. That's when we actually need to pray for ourselves and lay hands on ourselves and pray. Next time you get in the shower, try it. Amen? Think about it. Lay hands on yourself and say, In the name of Jesus, from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, I am blessed because I am a child of the Most High God. When you're washing your hair, say, I have the mind of Christ. Amen? And the thoughts that are going into this mind will be thoughts according to the will of God. Put your hand on your heart. 
and say, God, I'm blessed in the name of Jesus. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed from up here to down there. I am blessed everywhere in my life. Look at your feet. Okay, touch your feet. And say, the steps of a righteous man or a righteous woman are ordered by the Lord. Lord, order my steps. Direct my steps. Lord, I believe there's no cancer. I believe there's no infection, no leukemia, no disease, no sickness. And I am blessed beyond measure because I am the child of the Most High God. I am blessed among measure because I am His. I belong to Him. And His, His promises belong to you this morning. You need to pray for yourself. Lay hands on yourself and declare the blessings of God. They're in here. The thing is getting, getting them from here to here. Because all, when you're out and you're facing a battle, sometimes you don't have the Word of God here. But you need it here. I don't know how many battles I have fought that if I hadn't had the Word of God here, I would have been lost. I would have lost the battle. But I already had the same Scripture that is here that the Bible says is a living Word. I already had it in here. I already had it in here, and it was ready to do battle. God had set me up to be the person He wanted me to be, knowing the Scripture I needed to know, given the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit, to know exactly when I needed to say what, to know that God was still on the throne, that God was my God, God is our God, that nothing we need, God doesn't know about. He knows about everything that you and I need. Back to leaving a legacy by investing in the lives of others. How do you even start investing in the lives of others? I'll give you three ways. First of all, you have to make yourself available. Do you realize that? It's not just going to automatically happen. You've got to make yourself available. You've got to open up your life and allow others to come into your life. Secondly, you've got to be intentional about it. Most people aren't going to come up and say, hey, can you invest in my life? No, they're not going to do that. You're going to have to take a step in their direction first. You're going to have to make the effort that it takes. And thirdly, we've got to be aware of what's going on around us. Because there is always somebody that we could pour our faith into around us. Might be somebody you work with, somebody you're at school with, might be somebody you're sitting next to at church here today. But there are always people in our paths that we can pour our lives into. But we have to have our spirits, minds, and our hearts and our eyes open to the opportunity to be able to be used by God. The Bottom line is God's strategy for developing people into full-blown Christian Christ followers isn't putting you through a study or a class. It's all about you. His plan for you and me is to use us to pour into the lives of others. And when you pour into the lives of others, things are going to change. Things are going to actually change in their life for sure, but I believe they change in my life too. When you pour into someone else, it's going to also change you. I heard a great story about a man by the name of Howard Hendricks. He tells a story about being abandoned when he was just a baby. Actually, he was, his parents split up before uh, um, he was even born. Neither parent paid any attention to his spiritual growth or his spiritual condition, but there was an older man by the name of Walt that stepped into the picture. Uh, Walt came from a tiny church in Little Howie's neighborhood. Uh, Walt had a passion to affect his community for Christ, and he really had a passion uh, to reach out to little 9- and 10-year-old little boys and present the gospel to them. And one Saturday morning, this little Howie was playing marbles by himself on the sidewalk, and all of a sudden he sees this shadow uh, next to him on the sidewalk, and he looks up, and it's a tall, gangly, older gentleman named Walt. And Walt looks at him and says, Hey, son, how about going to Sunday school with me? 
And the only word that Howie heard was school, and he didn't like school, so he said, no, I'm not going to go. I don't want to go to school, Sunday school. Well, instead of walking away and going on to Sunday school, Walt stopped and he squatted down. He said, then how would you like to play a game of marbles? All of a sudden, Howie's little eyeballs got real big because he was the best marble player on the block, and he said, I'll have no trouble with Walt. But much to his surprise, Walt beat him in every single game of marbles they played and captured every marble that he had. But in the process, he also captured little Howie's heart. Howie may have lost the marble games that day, but he gained a father figure in his life that for once in his life really cared about Howie. From then on, wherever Walt was, Howie was. They went everywhere together. Walt poured into Howie's life over the next few years, and he used to take Howie and the other boys on hiking trips, even though Walt had a bad heart. Walt was a model example of faithfulness for these boys to see. He always showed up for Sunday school with all the boys of the neighborhood with him, and he got the boys involved. Walt became the very presence of Christ for not only Howie, but for the 13 other boys in the neighborhood that also mostly came from broken homes. But because of Walt, this amazed me, 11 out of 13 boys went on to careers in the ministry. 11 out of 13 boys went on to careers in the church, which was kind of ironic because Walt only graduated from the sixth grade. Howie, that's telling this story, writes after he's older, an adult. He writes, it just goes to show you that a man doesn't need a Ph.D. for God to use him to shape another man. Isn't that so true? And doesn't that apply to you and me today? We don't have to have PhDs. Praise God if you have one. But you don't have to have one to do great things for God. God has equipped us. God has equipped us to do what He wants us to do. Every Sunday, people shape your life. You realize that? You know, I'm trying to shape your life up here. But we've got Sunday school teachers across the the street that are trying to shape the lives of your children. We have children's workers, we have CR workers on a Sunday night that are trying to help shape lives, prayer leaders that are trying to help shape lives. So my big question is, as I get ready to close, who's who's shaping your life? Or whose life are you you shaping? They go hand in hand. I believe you can't have one without the other, except in the beginning stages. Who's shaping your life and whose life are you shaping? The most important question I think that every every Christian needs to ask themselves is, what am I doing today? to be an influence for Jesus Christ for the next generation. What are you doing today to influence in a godly way the next generation? I think we should all ask ourselves that on a daily basis. Because one of these days, you and I are going to wake up and we're going to realize that we've got a whole lot fewer pages on the right side of our book of life than we do on the left side of our book of life. And when we come to the end of life, we're, we're going to be asking, what did I leave behind? We're not going to be asking, what am I going to take with me? Because we're not taking anything with us. But what did I leave behind? The answer to that question is, were you a mentor? Were you a helper? Were you a spiritual helper? Were you investing in the lives of others? So today, it's a Mother's Day, I know that. But you don't have to just be a mother to do incredible things in your kids' lives or in the lives of others. You don't have to be a mother to make a big difference. No matter who you are, do you realize God has a purpose? And God has a plan, and let me let you in on a little secret. That purpose and that plan that God has for your life isn't just for you and you alone. No, it's not for just us. It's a conduit for you and I to go out and reach the world, to reach the world around us, to be uh, helpers and the people that God has called us to be to the person next to us. 
Today I want you to look at the torch in your mind. The torch of faith in your hand. Look at the baton of faith in your hand. If we don't pass it on, the church is going to eventually spiritually die. Do you realize that? If you don't pass it on, the next generation is going to spiritually die. So as I've said today, we need to do something with it. We need to stir it up. Say stir it up with me, will you? Stir it up. We need to stir up the gift that God has given us. We need to fan into flames. We need to rekindle that gift so that the next generation will have exactly what it needs to fight the battles that it's going to face. Don't just be a spectator. Don't come into the church and just sit on the sidelines. But all of our accomplishments for God are going to depend on whether you're willing to get in the game or you're just satisfied to stand on the sideline. How about finding something that God wants you to do and do it with all of your heart? How about that? With no reserves, no holding back, no fears, no dreads, just faith. God has given us the opportunity to leave a legacy of faith. Are you with me this morning? Are you going to try to leave a legacy of faith? Are you going to try to encourage those that maybe you walked right past yesterday? I want to leave a legacy of faith, not only for you, but I'm out in the world every day too. And there are so many hurting people everywhere. The only problem is so many times we're not looking. We're not seeing. I pray that God would make your heart sensitive to those that need that baton passed on, those that need a spiritual legacy in their faith. Um, I want to pray. I want us to stay seated for a minute because we're going to have our Mother's Day giveaway in just a moment. Um, but I pray that this message has really touched your heart this morning. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we come before you as a church. We thank you, Lord God, for not only all the mothers that we have in the house today, not only for them, but for all the others that we have, that have been life-changing influences in our life. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find and fan into flames the legacy of faith that you have blessed us with and help us to pass that baton or that torch on to the next generation to keep your truths and your love alive for generations to come until it blends into eternity. We thank you, Lord God, for giving us the opportunity uh, to be more than just called Christians, to actually be Christians, to be Christ-like, and to tell the world about you. I thank you, Lord God, for all that you're doing and all the blessings in life, and help us to be all that you want us to be. In the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen.